this half hour gearing up for spring. We'll talk about catwalking, fleas and ticks, and more. We'll start with this. Is your pet ready for spring? By Ellie Smith, posted on PetCube.com, February 25th, 2019. Spring is in the air. This means lots of walks, playing fetch, and exploring with your four-legged friends. The sunny weather, blooming flowers, and singing birds are so tempting. Even cats start demanding time outside. Yet, warmer weather is also a reminder of some seasonal troubles for our canine and feline companions, such as pests and allergies. As a pet parent, you should prepare your pet for spring and be sure that doggy and kitty are safe and have fun. Here's a quick checklist to help your pet enjoy the brighter season to the fullest. Groom it up. Warmer weather means lots of shedding. Our furry friends get rid of their winter coats for their sleek, thinner attire. For pet parents, this means lots and lots of hair around the house. A regular bath and brushing will help keep your home clean and your pet happy. You can also pay a visit to a pet groomer to get your pet star service that includes washing, haircuts, nail trimming, and even teeth cleaning. Ensure tick and flea control. Spring is the time when the ticks and fleas are on the prowl. Those blood suckers can carry harmful parasites, so pet parents should be vigilant. While it's a good idea to keep your four-legged friends on preventive medications all year round, using tick and flea control such as rinses or tablets in warmer weather is very important. Take action on worms. Apart from fleas and ticks, the other problem you have to take care of is worms. Tapeworms, roundworms, and hookworms can become a problem in warmer months. One of the largest dangers to a pet's health is diroflaria, imitis, or heartworms, which spread through mosquito bites. Be proactive and make sure your cat or dog has been dewormed for the season. Watch out for allergies. With grass, flowers, and trees abloom in spring, pets can suffer from seasonal allergies just like we humans do. Keep an eye out for excessive scratching, licking, or hair loss, as these can be classic signs of allergies. If your pet develops any of these symptoms, take them to the vet immediately. Update your shots. In warmer seasons, your animals hang out a lot with other pets that may or may not have been properly vaccinated. Before you start spending more time at dog parks or join other fun pet activities in the neighborhood, make sure your pets have gotten their shots and are protected from infectious diseases. Pet vaccination is important, but not every pet needs to be vaccinated against every disease. Schedule a vet checkup to ensure that your pet's necessary vaccines are all updated. Bonding with our pets outdoors during the winter months can be just as fun for pet parents as it is for the pets themselves. With a little prep, you can have true peace of mind and be ready to fully enjoy this awesome time of year. Next, we walk our dogs year-round, of course, but when the weather turns gentler, our cats are more likely to want to enjoy the fresh air, too. Hopefully on a leash or in a condo to keep them safe. I have an indoor cat who loves to be walked on a leash. In fact, he gets excited when we bring out his little vest because he knows he's going outside. Some people might think it's a little odd. Indeed, not all cats will put up with being leashed. I think it's another one of those 
blanket misconceptions people have about cats. Here's what cat expert Jackson Galaxy has to say about it. Should you leash walk your cat? Ask the Cat Daddy by Jackson Galaxy on jacksongalaxy.com. Debbie from Linwood, Washington says, I was walking with my boyfriend last night and we saw someone walking their cat on a harness and leash. I thought it seemed like a cool idea, but my boyfriend laughed at the concept and thought I was insane. What's your take on leash walking cats? The Cat Daddy responds, let me first say that I am already a fan of clicker training, a form of operant conditioning. I can't even count how many times I've broken out the technique in all of the seasons of my cat from hell. Whether it's to teach your cat to walk on a leash, go into their carrier, or a multitude of other things, it's a rocking tool to have in your toolbox for a number of reasons. It is a way to stimulate a cat's mind and body, get them to do stuff, they might not normally do, at least not for you, all while increasing the human-cat bond. In fact, look no further than my Cat Positive program established through the Jackson Galaxy Project. This is a mojo-enhancing, positive reinforcement clicker training initiative that, among other things, enriches day-to-day -day life for cats in shelters and helps to improve adaptability. Leash walking is also great because it provides an extra dose of exercise for your cat. And when they're outside with all the raw cat senses in high gear, they come home tired in a 360 degree way. It's a great way to change things up, stave off play boredom and just provide an extra complimentary dose of play along with interactive daily sessions. So the short answer is yes, I'm all for leash walking your cat. Presuming that we have a thumbs up from the most important family member and the cat actually wants to go for a walk. If your cat is one who typically avoids hanging out anywhere near the front door and doesn't exhibit any interest in the great outdoors or who even might be fearful of going outside, don't bother. Many cats are content to just sit in the window and watch the world go by and if that sounds like yours, so be it. However, if you have a real door dasher on your hands and your cat is endlessly fascinated with what's going on out there, then he or she will likely be a perfect candidate for the cat walk, as it were. Here are a few tips and tricks for a successful walking routine with your cat. Your walk should always involve having your cat on a harness fastened to a leash. So step one would be to get them comfortable with both. This is where clicker training can be invaluable. The basic concept of clicker training is to teach your cat that if they do a certain action, like ease into their harness, they will get rewarded for that action with, you got it, their favorite treats. In fact, I call these preferred goodies jackpot treats because they should feel like they've hit the jackpot when they receive them. Take every step slowly, first getting comfortable with the harness on his body, which could take a while, and then starting with very short intervals of harness on, harness off, then treat. Once they can walk around the house looking as comfortable as if they didn't have a harness on, then attach the leash and start again. Each component of the whole can be an uncomfortable feeling for your cat, so easing them into the process and keeping up positive associations is key. When you get to that place where you can walk them in harness and on leash, 
in the house, then it's time to see how much they like the experience in the great outdoors. Understand that walking a cat is very different than walking a dog and that essentially your cat will walk you. You might take a few steps, then stop so they can take a few sniffs, a few more steps, a quick dart to explore a bug followed by a few more sniffs, etc. From there, you might go into a little bit of a trot, only to stop again for more sniffing. Clearly, this is not the excursion into aerobic exercise that walking a dog can be, so be prepared for the slower, more contemplative experience of cat walking. Be mindful about making only gentle corrections with the leash. Ease them away from that tree, discourage them from running down that alley, and offer a soft yet firm posturing of the leash so they don't go in there, wherever the undesirable there may be. Only subtle manipulations of the leash are required and they will quickly get the hint. Remember that your walks should be ritualized. You don't want your cat running to the door every time you go to the door, although I do recommend keeping the leash and harness near it. Instead, when it's time to head out, say something predictable like, it's time for a walk, and then jiggle the leash. That's their signal. And it should be treated as part of what I call their three R's, routine, ritual, and rhythm, which is basically a ritualized routine that's part of their daily rhythm of activity. Walking your cat can prove to be an enriching, mojo-rific routine for both of you. And so long as your cat is up for the daily adventure, I'm definitely down for the two of you making a new habit of it. And hey, Debbie, if your boyfriend is embarrassed to be seen with a confident, adventurous woman and her cat, well then, that might tell you a little bit about who Mr. Wright isn't, if you get my drift. Next, getting ready for spring means getting a jump on flea and tick season. Here's an overview of what you need to know about fleas and ticks in a brochure from petsandparasites.org. Fleas, ticks, and your pet. Fleas are probably the most common ectoparasite, external parasite, of dogs and cats worldwide. In addition to just being a nuisance, fleas are responsible for flea allergy dermatitis, or FAD, in dogs and cats, which is estimated to account for over 50% of all the dermatological cases reported to veterinarians. Ticks are also ectoparasites. Ticks are important vectors for a number of diseases, including Lyme disease. Ticks are second only to mosquitoes as vectors of human disease, both infectious and toxic. Control and prevention of ticks is extremely important in reducing the risk of disease associated with ticks. Year-round prevention. Parasites can infect your pet any time of year, while external parasites such as fleas and ticks may be less of a problem during certain times of the year depending on where you live. Internal parasites, worms, can be present year-round. That's why it's important to consult with your veterinarian to implement a year-round parasite control program. Common questions about fleas and ticks. Why should I control parasites for my pet year-round? Due to the large number of internal and external parasites and the high risk of pet infection, Controlling parasites year-round is the most reliable way to ensure the highest level of health for your pet and well-being of your family. Year-round prevention is the most effective way 
to control cat and dog parasites and the diseases they can carry. People think their pets are safe during the colder months, but pets are susceptible to flea and tick infections at all times of the year. And regardless of the weather, many of these pets can even survive in your home, in carpeting, on furniture, and in the bedroom. Do fleas on my pet present a health risk to my family? Yes. Fleas can carry and transmit several potential illnesses of importance to humans, including typhus and plague, and can transmit cat scratch disease, an infection with Bartonella among cats, who can then spread the disease to humans. Additionally, fleas serve as an intermediate host for tapeworms, which can infect your pet, and occasionally humans. What human health problems are associated with ticks? Ticks transmit a large number of diseases in North America. These diseases include Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Relapsing Fever, Ehrlichiosis, Tularemia, and Tick Paralysis. It is important for the health of your pet, as well as the safety of your family, to include ticks in your pet's year-round parasite control program. What if my cat never goes outside? Indoor cats have less chance of acquiring fleas and ticks, but they should be regularly checked just in case. Other pets and or family members can be hosts for fleas and ticks on pant cuffs or socks and bring them to the home to your indoor cat. Tips to protect your family and your pet. Wash your hands well after contact with an animal. Do not allow children to put dirt in their mouths. Pick up dog and cat waste from your yard daily, especially in areas where both children and animals play. Cover home sandboxes to protect them from fecal contamination. Have your pet tested regularly at least once a year for parasites by a veterinarian and administer year-round preventive medications to control internal parasites that present a risk to your pet and your family. What is a vector-borne disease? Vector-borne diseases are those transmitted by fleas or ticks, among other parasites, that infest dogs and cats. They can affect pets and people. Ticks can transmit a large number of vector-borne diseases in North America, including Ehrlichiosis, Lyme disease, Relapsing fever, Rocky Mountain Spotted fever, and Tularemia. The Companion Animal Parasite Council CAPC is an independent council of veterinarians and other health care professionals established to create guidelines for the optimal control of internal and external parasites that threaten the health of pets and people. It brings together broad expertise in parasitology, internal medicine, human health care, public health, veterinary law, private practice, and association leadership. The content of the Pets and Parasites website was developed, reviewed, and endorsed by CAPC. Now, you may ask, is there a difference between fleas and ticks? And does it matter? The people at the PetBasics.com website answer that question in this article. What's the difference between fleas and ticks? Fleas and ticks are common bugs that cause irritating bites and can transmit diseases to your pets. Here's what you need to know about each. As warm and snuggly as our pets might be to us, their soft fur also provides a great environment and hiding place for some nasty bugs. That's right, we're talking about two of the most common threats for both pets and their owners, fleas and ticks. 
Fleas and ticks are similar in that they feed on your pet's blood. They can transmit diseases. They also use sharp mouth parts to cut into the skin where they excess blood vessels, often leaving red irritated skin behind. And they can spread disease to humans and pets. But that's where the similarities end. Flea versus tick. There are many differences between fleas and ticks, including the type of parasite they are. A flea is a wingless insect with six legs that can jump. Ticks, on the other hand, have six to eight legs and are arachnids, which means they're related to spiders, the hosts that they look for. Adult fleas find one host, usually a dog or cat, and stay there until they die. Their lifespan on a pet can last two to three months. Ticks feed on multiple hosts, rodents, rabbits, deer, and pets, up to two weeks at a time throughout the different stages of their development and can live up to three years in various environments. The weather they can tolerate. In most cases, we think of flea and tick season as the warmer months, and for fleas, that's true. Warm environments are ideal for them. Ticks thrive in warmer environments too, but are better adapted to survive the cold weather even hiding under snow. Their tendency to infest your home. Fleas are more likely to invest your house. They multiply, they bring along friends, and they can get on your clothes and your furniture. Ticks typically just wait around and latch onto their host as they walk by. The way you treat them. If you have a flea infestation, you'll most likely need to use a premise product to clean and treat the areas of your house exposed to the infestation, as well as give your dog a flea bath or treat your pet with a preventive. With ticks, you will want to remove them as quickly as possible and even give the pet a bath if they're heavily infested. To avoid ticks in the future, be sure to apply a preventive. The disease they carry. Fleas can cause skin issues, flea allergy, dermatitis, and carry tapeworms. Infected ticks can transmit potentially deadly diseases like Rocky Mountain, spotted fever, and Lyme disease. Avoiding fleas and ticks? Always check your dog or cat after they have come in from a romp in the woods or tall grasses. If you do find a tick on your pet, get rid of the parasite as quickly as possible. Clean the area and monitor your pet for any changes in behavior. And if you find fleas, clean, bathe, and treat your pet appropriately. Consult your vet if you have any specific concerns. And from People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA, at PETA.org, what is the best way to get rid of fleas and ticks? Although PETA encourages non-lethal methods of insect control whenever possible, we realize that lethal methods sometimes must be used to combat insects, just as lethal means must sometimes be used to defend ourselves against animals and humans who attack us. In the case of a flea or tick problem, while it is necessary to eliminate the insects in order to protect your companion animal from resulting problems, such as flea dermatitis or tick-borne diseases, once there is an infection, the best approach is prevention. To that end, the best long-term preventive is an insect growth regulator called Precor. This flea hormone will cause sterility in the offspring of any flea that touches it. So spray it every four months on your carpets, hardwood floors, and upholstery. 
but never on your animals. The next line of defense is a healthy coat. Please prefer flaking, raw, itchy skin because their role in nature is to take out the unhealthy animals. To produce a flea-resistant coat in your dog or cat, add flaxseed oil and calcium asorbate powder, buffered vitamin C, to the animal's food. B-complex vitamins are also extremely helpful to the condition of the skin. Garlic is a natural flea repellent. When added to your animal's food and black walnut capsules, given as a supplement, repel fleas as well. Additionally, a diet rich in fresh, whole foods and low in processed foods and additives will also contribute to the health of your animal's coat. Effective flea control programs employ a multifaceted approach. Flea combing every day is very effective and helps you to keep tabs on the flea population. It also offers immediate relief from itching. Vacuum rugs and furniture daily, if necessary, during flea season. Flea eggs can be picked up by vacuuming, but can still hatch in the bag, which should be sealed and thrown away or put in the freezer after each cleaning. For a flea infestation, sprinkle carpets with diatomaceous earth, a powder composed of the fossilized remains of one-celled algae. Leave it down overnight, then vacuum it up. This will kill most fleas. Avoid chemical powders, sprays, or flea collars. These toxic products can be very dangerous. Many animals and people have been poisoned or killed by them. Never overdose an animal with a product. Mix products, collar dip powder, or use a flea control product intended for a dog on a cat, a very small dog, or any other animal. And now for the portion of the program I like to call Don't Eat That. While we're on the subject of insects, Rover.com answers the question, can my dog eat insects? Maybe. Usually the answer is no, but it depends on the insect. Safe insects. These insects pose no threat to dogs if eaten and add a little protein boost to your dog's diet. Those are ants and houseflies. Hmm. Safe but irritating insects. These insects aren't highly toxic, but when eaten in large quantities, they can cause an upset stomach. Most spiders, including the brown recluse and black widow, which are dangerous, june bugs, cicadas, stink bugs, and Asian lady beetles, which resemble ladybugs. Dangerous insects. These insects should be avoided either because of toxic venom, allergic reactions, or risk of parasites. And they are the brown recluse and black widow spiders, caterpillars, bees and wasps, fleas, beetles, cockroaches, crickets. Symptoms to look for. Symptoms vary depending on the insect, but keep an eye out for any changes in your dog's health. Call your vet if your dog exhibits any of the symptoms below. Mouth pain or swelling, upset stomach, drooling, vomiting, diarrhea, evidence of parasites, lethargy, or loss of appetite. For more information, we have a number of articles to help you determine what's safe for your dog to eat and what to avoid. You might also be interested in reading other articles at rover.com. In the news... You might have heard recently that President Biden's dog, Major, had a minor incident 
where he nipped the hand of a secret service agent and was subsequently sent to the family home in Delaware for a little while. Here's a follow-up reported March 10th, 2021 on NBC's Today Show. Oprah sits down with Biden's dogs in spoof of Harry and Meghan interview. Oprah went to the dogs to get to the bottom of a recent biting incident at the White House. This was written by Scott Stump. Oprah Winfrey has scored yet another explosive interview with one of the most talked about duos in the country. The Late Show with Stephen Colbert had some fun with Winfrey's bombshell sit-down with Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, and Prince Harry by creating a spoof interview between the legendary talk show host and President Joe Biden's dogs, Major and Champ. This time, the aim was to get to the bottom of the recent biting incident involving Major and a Secret Service agent. Major wanted to make it clear from the outset that he had not received any payment to appear on Oprah with Major and Champ. I am receiving no treats, he barked. Champ and Major are currently back at the Biden family home in Delaware after a Secret Service official confirmed to NBC News on Tuesday that Major, a three-year-old rescue dog, had nipped an agent's hand on Monday. The official added that no skin was broken and Major is now getting his side of the story out there through Winfrey. Now I'm free to say I didn't bite the agent, Major said. The reverse happened. The dog's answer was a joking allusion to the former Meghan Markle claiming that rumors made sister-in-law Catherine Duchess of Cambridge cry before Meghan's wedding were untrue and that it was Kate who made her cry. Winfrey pushed deeper to clarify what Major was alleging. The agent bit me, the dog barked. For the record, White House officials say Champ and Major didn't go from the White House to the doghouse because of the minor bite. Their trip back home to Delaware was a previously scheduled short-term stay, while First Lady Jill Biden is on a West Coast trip. The two dogs ended their illuminating sit-down with Winfrey by making it clear that they would never bite anybody. Then they promptly rushed off the interview set to maul a nearby mailman. As a follow-up to that story, it was later reported that the two pooches will soon be returning to the White House with some retraining under their collars. And here's a report on their return, courtesy of the Associated Press, posted March 17, 2021. It's titled, A Good Boy Again. Biden's Dog Will Return to the White House. There is major breaking news. President Joe Biden's wayward pup is no longer in the doghouse. Biden, in an interview that aired Wednesday, said that his dog, Major, who had been involved in a biting incident at the White House, was a sweet dog. He explained the biting by saying that the dog had turned a corner. There's two people he doesn't know at all, you know, and they move and he moves to protect. Biden added that 85% of the people there love him. Major, a three-year-old rescue dog and champ who was 12, were moved to the Biden's Delaware home after the incident. But the president said they would return to the White House. The president said the dog's being trained now in Delaware, but disputed the idea that the pup was sent away after the incident. He said the dogs went to Wilmington because the first couple was going to be out of town. He was going home, Biden said. 
I didn't banish him to home. Jill was going to be away for four days. I was going to be away for two, so we took him home. The dogs are the first pets to call the White House home since President Barack Obama departed in early 2017 with his pups, Bo and Sonny. President Donald Trump did not have any pets. And that will do it for this week. I'm your host, Mary DeFranco. I hope you enjoyed the program. Thank you for listening. Please join me next time. And don't forget, please spay and neuter your pets. It's healthy for them and the environment.